Good morning. This month, uh, as we look to Thanksgiving, I mean, we can't quite get our eyes off of Thanksgiving in November. Everything kind of focuses on Thanksgiving. And then, of course, we're looking at Christmas. I, I was listening to a Christian radio station, and they're asking all of you, people within their range of broadcasts, to vote on whether we should start playing Christmas music now or wait until after Thanksgiving. Um, how many of you would like to start Christmas music now? Okay. And how many wait until after Thanksgiving? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I'll give them the word. <laughs> but, you know, with Thanksgiving on our minds, and I hope on our hearts, it's so important to be a person of gratitude and thanksgiving. This month, uh, all the messages out of Proverbs, as we continue our series in my favorite Proverbs, we're going to be looking at wisdom having to do with generosity and gratitude and thanksgiving, of course. So uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20. Chapter 16, verse 20. We call it first fruits, uh, and the 21st of this month, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, will be our first fruits Sunday. But this whole this whole month, we celebrate first fruits, and the notion of first fruits is really about giving God our first and our best. And I'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But let me read to us Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20. This is from the English Standard Version. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Now, in Proverbs, you often have couplets of two lines. And these lines of thought, sometimes they contrast um, a great deal of the time, they parallel one another. And there's a whole study that has to do with the nature of this kind of Hebrew poetry. It is characteristic of the Proverbs. It's characteristic of the Psalms. It's characteristic of chunks of the prophets. What we see here when we look at the first line and then we compare it to the second line is that we see that the word gives thought and when we think of gives thought, we could think of someone who heeds, you know, to heed something, to pay attention, to be mindful. So when that first line, when it says gives thought, that corresponds in a way to the words in the second line, the one who trusts in the Lord. And then when we see in the first line, we'll discover good, which means to prosper, to flourish, even contains notions of being happy, finding happiness. That expression, will discover good, corresponds to the word blessed in the second line 
kind of see how that works? There's almost an echo or a rhyming. And we can conclude then that the word in the first line, the word word, some of your translations uh, may say matter, uh, the matter. And that's because the Hebrew word that is primarily the word for word can also speak of a matter. You know, what's the matter? Uh, attend to the matter, deal with the matter, pay attention to the matter. <laughs> you get the idea. So from this, we can conclude that the word is related to the word of the Lord. Because the first line, you know, he who gives heed, pays attention, is mindful of the word, which is the primary meaning of the Hebrew word dabar. Um, he who pays attention to the word, and then in the next line, he who trusts in the Lord, or the one who trusts in the Lord. In the first line, we'll discover good, we'll prosper. In the second line, blessed. In fact, how blessed is he or she who trusts in the Lord? So this proverb is like super encouraging when you reflect upon it. From the wise of Israel, here is a testimony to the secret of life. Really, people want to be blessed. People want to be happy. They want to prosper. Here, we're being told this is the secret. Trust the Lord. Mind, be mindful. Heed the word of the Lord. So that's really the same kind of thing, you know. If, uh, if someone tells you something and you trust them, what they tell you makes a difference. In fact, uh, well, I'll mention in just a minute, but this proverb is like super encouraging. And uh, I think that if we were to take time, and I've, I've experienced this in churches, uh, we don't do it as much here, but I've been in churches where the, the day before Thanksgiving, there would be a Thanksgiving service, an open mic, and People would, I mean, sometimes you had to stop them because they just were so thankful for so much. The Lord had done so many good things. But it was exhilarating to hear person after person, almost the, the auditorium full of people give testimony to the proof of this very proverb. Pay attention to the Lord's word, trust in the Lord, and good will come and you will be blessed. That's, that's what it's saying. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Blessed are we who trust in the Lord. And that's what I want us to kind of celebrate and reflect upon this morning. We are blessed. We are blessed. We have this proverb to give us a closer look, and I want us to look at some very obvious phrases in this proverb. The meaning of trusts. Trusts. And also the meaning of blessed. And then third, I want us to talk just a moment about first fruits as we prepare our hearts 
at the uh, end of our service to observe the Lord's Supper. So what is trusts in verse 20? The one who trusts in the Lord. I was going to mention that this last week, early, it was Monday, in fact, a friend, my friend, uh, he, we hadn't cycled in a couple of weeks, and he said, let's go cycling this Friday. And I said, fantastic, we'll, we'll go this Friday at 3.30 p.m. So there it is. So when he told me that, do you know what I did? I put it on my calendar. I put it on my calendar. And then I let Shelly know that I would be cycling with Gary on Friday. And then I made preparations. You know, I arranged my schedule so that everything was covered, but I would be able to get free at the right time, have my stuff packed up, give myself plenty of time to get home, get my funny riding suit on, you know, that silly helmet and everything. And off we went, and we cycled. You see, I trusted Gary's word. Now, that may seem so obvious and so simplistic, and I grant you that. But trusting in the Lord isn't all that complicated. You have to take his word to heart, and then you adjust your life to what he tells us. And we're mindful. I was mindful all week that I would be writing on Friday. So that's a simple example of what it means to trust. Trust expresses itself in actions that correspond to my belief in God. Or as is the case of my illustration, my belief in Gary. It's an active expression of faith. Trust isn't built in one encounter with the Lord. It's built through experience. We can claim to have faith. We can say, I believe. I'll sign anything to prove it, you know. I believe. But then do our actions, our thoughts, our words, do they correspond to the belief that we declare we have in the Lord. There's always going to be something of a gap there, I have found. And I want you to know that. We'll, we'll never be as perfect as we would like to be. We'd, we'll never be as true to the Lord as we'd like to be. We'd never find ourselves being as loving to others as the Lord is loving to us. We'll never find ourselves forgiving others as the Lord has forgiven us. We'll never be quite so self-sacrificial as the Lord has been sacrificial to us. Those are realities we live with. And even as this morning we look ahead or we're mindful of the fact that we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, that's a powerful reminder that he is greater than we are. And what we aspire to and we become, we do in his strength, which requires faith. God has made everything available to us for thriving in our relationship with him. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. 
trusts, well, the fact is we believe things the world around us does not believe. You realize that, I'm sure. Trust has to do, in our case, in believing in someone that the Lord doesn't believe in. And it means following his word when the word of the world, if you will, the word of others, is what other people follow. And that is why we move in different directions and think in different ways and talk in different ways. In some ways, we even have a different language of sorts. There are ideas and truths about the past, our past, the past, about, about the future, our future, the future, and about our present that are different because we believe in God Almighty, the creator of the world, and that he loved us and sent his son to deliver us, to save us. You see, that, that changes everything. And that, here's a realization that I had some years ago, because when I was 30, I started pastoring in the Bay Area, 30 years old. Um, yeah, I don't look a bit over 30, I'm sure, but it was a while ago. And uh, <laughs> thank you, Victoria. You're too sweet to me. I was getting ready to, you know, say something on Sunday to the congregation, and I began to realize, you know, there are things I can look up in the dictionary. There's knowledge I can have, but, but how does it actually take root and bear fruit and become real in my life? And that's been a pursuit of mine. And I had this realization that I call Jesus the Lord of my life, but he can only be the Lord of my life in this moment. In other words, yes, I can look back at my past and I can say, yes, the Lord was the Lord of my life. And I can look into the future and say, yes, I, I believe the Lord will be the Lord of my life in the future. But the only time that I can really let him reign, you know, what does a Lord do? A, lo a Lord, whoever we call a Lord, we are saying, you exercise authority over me, right? The only time the Lord then can be Lord is when he's exercising authority over me. And that can only happen in the moment. Now, this was a huge realization to me. In fact, if I look to my past, the Lord will be a greater Lord to me in my life if I exercise my faith in him and let him be the authority in my life in the moment. Does that make sense? And that sets a pattern a good practice, because if we don't practice certain things, we won't do them. My pastor used to preach a sermon that he was famous for, use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. And it was all about the fact that if you don't use some of your aptitudes and abilities, in fact, things you own, if you don't use them, what is their worth? 
we can inscribe things, we can proclaim things, but if it isn't real in our lives in the moment, today, now, here, what that, that changed me in many ways. I mean, like when I would be in an auditorium listening to somebody speak, I would realize, you know what, if the Lord is the person that has authority over my life, then I would realize I'm here to hear something and I better hear it. I mean, it just made me more attentive to all the opportunities and realities of the Lord in my life, each and every day, all in, not always in things that are gilded with, with importance, in little things. See, this is what it means to trust the Lord. It's not on cue. It's not on a certain day at a certain time. It's a lifestyle. It's, we call it a relationship. I think when we use the word relationship, we talk about people hanging together, being near to one another, close to each other, mutually influencing each other. Well, if we apply, apply that to the Lord as well, then the Lord is present with us at all times. Every little interruption. Yeah, it could be an interruption. We can call it an interruption. That was an interruption but maybe it was a divine appointment. Maybe the Lord wanted that interruption to take place so that we could affect some kind of positive, encouraging, building, you know, outcome because we're trusting the Lord. It changes everything, as you can imagine. Wisdom cannot be pursued in a vacuum. You cannot do wisdom. You know, I qualify that. I suppose if you were in a prison cell or you were being persecuted in some way and taken away from your family and thrown into a dark cell, wisdom would help you to know and realize the Lord is present with you and make the most of it. But wisdom is something to be practiced. It's something that has an impact because it changes the way you operate in life and it helps you to navigate more smartly, intelligently, uh, with foresight. You know, we can't read the future, but a lot of times with wisdom, we understand the implications of our actions and the consequences of our actions. And in that sense, then, when we are negotiating a decision that we need to make, we can actually kind of sense the future. I'm not going to do that because I know how that will turn out. I know what the consequences of that will be. And we navigate accordingly. And we act more wisely. Just like with human nature, if we get to know people or know ourselves, we realize that there's certain things that make us who we are. We act in so many similar ways. And if we get to know how people behave, it can even affect the way we treat people. We can be wiser about that. But wisdom doesn't take place in a vacuum. It does It take place in the world. And that's where trust that's where trust and faith are practiced as well. It's not something that we put into a little shrine on the, on the shelf. It's something that we practice 
in every encounter, in all of life, God is with us. God is in the midst of that. And if we're mindful of him, if we're attentive to his word, good comes out of that. How blessed is the woman? How blessed is the man? How blessed is the young child who trusts in the Lord? That's what's being said in the second line. How blessed. How blessed. I want to talk a little bit about blessed. There are two words for bless or to bless. Have you ever thought about what the word bless means? I mean, I picked it up around, you know, going to church. We talk a lot about bless, 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 bless. I figured out it was probably something good, but I wasn't quite sure. And for years, you know, even after you go to school and what, what exactly does bless mean? Well, there are two words. The, probably the most uh, important word or significant word is Barak, B-A-R-A-K. And that, that runs from the beginning of the Bible. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, in the creation account of Genesis, God blesses the first couple. And then in chapter 9 of Genesis, the first verse, God blesses Noah after the deluge. He blesses Noah, who in a sense becomes the father of a new race. And then in chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1, 2, and 3, God calls Abraham out of Ur, and he blesses him. Here's just a little bit of that blessing. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a blessing. Now, that's a really significant concept. Because we think of a blessing as something that, you know, like, hey, come on over. I want you to see my new car. It's in the garage. It's such a blessing. See, we think of blessings as things. And they can be things. But they're just objects. Blessings are bigger than just objects, just things. In fact, it's that faith relationship we've been talking about. It's that trust in the Lord that even recognizes it as a blessing. It's not just, uh, you know, putting food in the cupboard. It's something that kind of has an impact on us in our relationship with the Lord. And part of the beauty or the dynamic of a blessing is that we know who is blessing us. I would say if there's one thing about the word blessing that I've learned, it's that I know a blessing is from the Lord. We, some of us got good things this year. But when you know it's from the Lord, you know it's a blessing. 
And it's about a relationship with the Lord that's a part of that blessing. And this, this blessing of Abraham, when he says, so that you will be a blessing, I think that means to exemplify divine blessing. If I'm a blessing, how do you know it? <laughs> but, you know, if I live a life of gratitude and I give him glory and praise and I am aware that God has blessed me, that's more along the lines of what God is saying to Abraham when he says, you will be a blessing. You will exemplify, you see, my divine blessing of your life. And then he says this to Abraham. Through you, Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Well, how is that going to happen if Abraham says, Way, I got the goods, Lord. I'm going to go back to Ur now. You know, uh, I enjoyed my time with you. You blessed me. That was great. I love that blessing. And... Uh, but that's, you know, I'm breaking up. I'm breaking up. You see, how would Abraham then be a blessing to others? What I'm trying to help us to appreciate is just like Abraham, a blessing from the Lord makes us a blessing if we recognize that blessing. And the, the kind of the prerequisite of that is to have this, this heart that attends that is mindful of, that pays attention to the word of the Lord, that trusts in the Lord, which be, well, it, it presents a relationship with him, a living one. The story of the Bible, you see, is how this blessing that was of, for Abraham, that in Abraham... The Messiah comes. And so the story of the Bible from the blessings of Genesis and then to Abraham is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, that blessing is our blessing. And when you appreciate those little things, you ponder them and you don't just you know, life is so busy. We just don't slow down and let the truth of what God's done in our lives sometimes to really sink in and influence us. In Proverbs 28, 20, it says, a faithful person will abound with blessings. What is a faithful person? Well, that's a person who trusts in the Lord. You know, if you trust in the Lord all the time, People will call you faithful. See? And then in chapter 28, verse 25, it says, but the one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. And prosper, I don't think of as just goods. As I ripen in life, I cherish things. I cherish people. I cherish relationships. I cherish decisions that I made back when and now bearing the fruit of that. 
I think, uh, I think that when we trust in the Lord and we, we appreciate his blessings, we cherish life in a way that the rest of the world just has no capacity because there is no God. Okay? There is no caring creator. There is no personal Lord. There is no love, no meaning, no meaning. You make your own meaning. That's been the existential philosophy of the 20th and now into the 21st century. So, the one who trusts, how blessed. The second word for blessing is the word esher. And it has to do with a state or condition of happiness. How happy is how we translate it. And that's what we have here in our verse today. How happy is she? How happy is he? How happy is the one who trusts in the Lord? That's the secret to happiness. That's the secret to joy. That's the secret to an entirely different and foreign outlook on life today in this 21st century than the world around us. And it makes us different. And that blessing makes us blessed. And we exhibit that. We exhibit that divine blessing in the way we lead our lives. If we realize we're blessed, if we realize we are his and we trust him who is a gracious and good Lord. And what is first fruits? Well, first fruits is giving our first and our best to the Lord. <laughs> when um, I, I wasn't a student in high school, and uh, I've made, I mean, I cheated a lot, and I'm not, I'm not holding myself up as an example, but I would like to hold myself up as someone who has reformed because of the Lord in my life. And so I got into college as a new believer, and man, I started bearing down. And it was, a, it was a slog. It was really a slog because I had kind of skipped over so much. And I, I was doing everything I could. And um, then, I, of course, my calling to the, to the work of the Lord, and so I started taking um, classes on the Bible. And my pastor... Uh, was teaching a course, and I took this course from him. And when, when you re, when you get into college and graduate school, you get a syllabus, which is a, kind of a contract between teacher and student, and it lays out what's expected of the student. If there's a paper involved, how many pages, etc., and the rules of the class. And uh, so, as he was going through this syllabus, he says, everything has to be typed. Everything has to be typed. I never typed. And, you know, I was kind of a free thinker. And uh, so, I went up to my pastor after class, very respectful, of course. I adored that man. I just, he was huge in my eyes. And I said, uh, Pastor Yeager, um, I think... Uh, I understand that you'd like everything typed, but I, I don't have a typewriter. I don't know how to type. It seems like, you know, kind of a, um, 
Well, it seems unfair that I have to type, but I can print very legibly. I am an exceptional printer. And he kind of looked down on me and he kind of poked his finger right, right there in my chest and he said, get a typewriter. So I hopped on my little motorcycle, and on the way home, I bought a typewriter. And Shelly can attest, in the early years of our marriage, boy, I was up there learning how to type. God did a great thing through that, because I ended up, when I wrote my dissertation, all my typing I do myself. But it was hard. It was a slog. But you know what Bill Yeager would tell me to motivate me? He'd say, you know, if you were in Harvard, you wouldn't try to make excuses. You would buckle down. You would do whatever it takes to be a graduate of Harvard, to make it in this world. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be a doctor. Why do you skimp when it comes to the Lord? Why is it you want a pass or an exception? Why do we not give him our first and our best? We're performing, not in a sense of stage, but in the performance of what we do for the Lord. We are doing that for the creator of the world. And Christians should be people of excellence. God was, this famous verse We've heard so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Did he give his first and his best for us? He did. And this morning as we consider the Lord's Supper, we commemorate the fact that God gave his first fruits for us. We're called back to reflect And in a sense, once again, try to appreciate the worth, the value, the quality of what God has done for us. We have that in our nature, I think, to just, I I can walk around my house and see things that I've had for years, but when, when I got that, it was like, oh, if I could just have that would be so wonderful and then it loses value over time we get accustomed to things we think it came easier than it came etc etc the point is this is a time to remember and to recalibrate ourselves we do it every month because it's so important to remember the first fruits of God's greatest gift is Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and me. And then not only defeated death, but rose from the grave that we might know newness of life each and every day. Resurrection life. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. This is a testimony of the New Testament. The Spirit wasn't poured out until Jesus was resurrected rose from the dead and was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And now that new life, that resurrection power is ours. And we exercise our lives in that power through faith.
These are the things that we celebrate as we consider the bread and the cup. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it. And then he said to his disciples, just as he says to us, do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, the cup also, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's an interesting expression, the new covenant in my blood. In the first act, when he distributes the bread, this is my body which is given for you. And then with the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus gave his life for me and for you. That's what is symbolized in the bread. That attributes to you and me an incredible value in the eyes of God. Unparalleled, really. What could be more precious? in the life of his one and only son. And yet he gives it for you and for me. And then this new covenant, you see, because what I want us to appreciate is where we gain that acceptance in his sacrificial death for us. That can never be lost. It's a reminder. It's not a a repetition of, the, of his death. It's a reminder that his death has removed every obstacle between us and the Lord today and tomorrow and certainly in the past. It's now a new covenant, a new relationship based on Jesus' action in his death. And it's symbolized in this blood Blood was sprinkled to seal a relationship just as sacrifices in the Old Testament. And so this represents a new relationship that can never be shaken, never be broken. Take and drink. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. We're going to sing a closing song. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And we know we're frail, feeble. Uh, we do a lot of things, I'm sure, that fall short of your glory. But Lord, you love us. You make a way for us. You do all that we need for us. And we praise and thank you with our lives. May we give you our first and best. For Lord, we, we who trust in you, we are blessed. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,